Welcome to our first Behind the Triad podcast, where we talk leadership with great influencers from across the community. I'm Colonel Steve Messenger, and in this episode, we have Viterbo President Rick Tritely joining us. Rick is a 22-year Army veteran turned professional academic, holding a number of roles at St. Bonaventure University and Viterbo University before being named President. Rick, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Colonel Messenger. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm excited for a number of reasons. One, we're launching our first podcast today, as you know, but more so I really look at your career and I see kind of myself going into the future. I just hit 22 years in the military. You continue to have an impact on emerging leaders, not just in your military career or your current career, but just across the communities. It's awesome. How is being president? Well, so far, so good. I find it a good fit. You know, I believe leadership is leadership, so whether I was uh, serving as a leader in the U.S. Army or on a college campus, I think I have a lot I can offer and can make a positive impact on students' lives now and, you know, just like I did with soldiers for 22 years. Yeah, I know you can. Uh, we've been, re, the viewers don't know this. We've been hanging out for the past two hours just talking leadership and seeing different sites. But you just mentioned that, and I'll kind of get into it, the difference between military leadership and civilian leadership or university leadership. Do you see that as the same? You see it as different? Well, again, I think leadership is leadership. But just like we used to say in the Army, you know, there's task conditions and standards, right? But the conditions change. So when I was in the Army, there was a culture of leadership, uh, more direct leadership, I would consider. Now on a college campus, it's collaborative leadership. It's authentic leadership. It's servant leadership. But Uh, You know, my style hasn't changed. I believe that people are the key to being an effective leader. Generally, if you look after your people, you put them first, uh, you can move the organization forward much faster than the direct style of leadership where you lead through fear. Yeah, and I I know you're a big fan of servant leadership. I know we just talked about the new program you have at Viterbo, and I know you come here and uh, teach some classes here yourself. What, What do you think? How do you describe servant leadership? Well, servant leadership in my mind is many things, but one, it's, it's being an adept listener. It's putting others before yourself. It's trying to establish a legacy that it's not about you. It's about the people that you develop and the impact they will make on the world as a result of that time, attention, and leadership that you invested in them. You know, so it's really a, a selfless form of leadership, and it just really resonates with me. Yeah, I, I love that. I, when I got here at Fort McCoy as the commander, a lot of people in my first week or two kept saying, you know, your command. Hey, well, it's Colonel Messenger's command. And I, I kind of stopped people. And I say, well, no, 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 no. It's our command. This is our garrison. And how do we collectively move forward? And uh, I love how you just worded that. I'll tell you, I went to the inauguration a few weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago now. Uh, it was awesome, by the way. Thank you for inviting me. One thing I noticed is that you set this atmosphere of lightheartedness and fun. It was entertaining, to say the least. Was this an in, it was an environment that others wanted to be at. So was this on purpose? How do, like, how do you see that? Well, we started the planning for the inauguration last April, and I put together a really talented committee who would lead it. I tried to stay out of the way as much as possible. But in the first meeting, I gave the traditional command guidance uh, to the committee, and I just asked them to focus really on two things. Number one, make it a professional event. 
because it's all about the community. It wasn't about Rick Tritely, and we wanted it to be an event that we were all proud of. Secondly, I wanted them to make sure that it had a Viterbo feel. You know, we did not want to, again, if we think about authentic leadership, we didn't want it to be something that we're not. And I think at Viterbo, we do a great job of being community-based uh, to making sure that all constituents are thought of as we plan it. And so you probably saw in the inauguration, we had events for students, we had events for employees, we had events you know, for everyone together. And finally, the evening of the inauguration, we had a really nice gala downtown where we were able to thank all of our sponsors from the local community. So it was just a wonderful four days, and I think we succeeded in making it a Viterbo event. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I love that medal they put around your neck or the medallion. That thing was huge, like Flavor Flav putting it on you. Yeah, there you're showing your age back there. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That's right. Uh, I loved your inauguration speech. So in it, you know, you talked about first casting commander's intent on the thing, which is expanded purpose, key tasks, and end state. And again, I, your crew just killed it. Uh, but in your inauguration speech, you painted a picture of the future, and you challenged other people to get there. And we talked. It's a 2027 vision. Uh, it took, you know, I call that Army design methodology, or you would too, a couple years ago when you were still in the, the military. Uh, understand the current state, visualize the desired end state, and then describe effective ways of bringing that future about. How did you come up with that vision? Yeah, so first of all, I've been at the university now for five years, so I've had the advantage of really understanding what we do well, uh, what we would need to improve upon, and then what we would need to do to remain relevant in an ever-changing environment of higher education. You know, so that was very helpful to have that background. Uh, but then, as you said, I tried to look forward five years and say, if we were successful in everything we're doing over the next five years, what would that look like? And I think the vision effectively captured that as it showed a pathway forward to where we would be a vibrant, successful university uh, that continued to change the world and continued to develop ethical leaders and faithful servants, which is our mission. So I was very happy with it. I think it resonated with the community and you know, we're off and running and trying to do great things now. Yeah, I love that. I, you can see the strategic focus, your strategic leader. Uh, what's your biggest challenge, you think, in that vision? Yeah, so in higher education today, um, for us, it's enrollment, specifically traditional freshman enrollment. Here in the state of Wisconsin, where we get 80% of our students, there's a demographic cliff coming in the year 2025. What I mean by that is there will be less college-age students available in the state of Wisconsin for all of the universities to recruit. So our biggest challenge is figuring out what additional student populations we have to recruit to make up for the anticipated loss of students in Wisconsin, and also to be nimble enough to be able to change our resource strategy to be able to recruit those students, to support those students. And so in our case, in the vision, I laid out two distinct student populations uh, that we're going to focus on. One is Hispanic and Latino students. Uh, that's the fastest growing population in the United States and high concentrations of those students here in the Midwest. And the other, near and dear to our hearts, is military-aligned students. And so how can we uh, provide college education through both the federal and state GI Bill to all these soldiers who have served their countries uh, so well 
and would like to get a college education and move on to the next phase of their lives. Yeah, I think that's great. We have, as you know, the same challenges in the military recruiting right now. And how do we encourage people to find this job that they can be passionate about, they're talented at, they probably want to be in, and they just don't know it yet. So we're certainly sharing some of the same challenges, having a great venue of opportunity, and then how do you get people to, to capitalize on that? So I'm going to shift topics real quick. Uh, you had an incredible military career going, 22 years in the service, and then you retired to do something different. So why'd you do that? Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so for me, serving in the military was an honor. Um, Initially, I went into the military because it was a family tradition, and also I, I viewed it as a pathway to get a college education. So for me, it was an Army ROTC scholarship, and with the Army ROTC scholarship came a commitment of eight years of service. So my plan initially was to do four years of active duty, four years in the Guard or Reserves, and then go be a teacher and a coach. Uh, but when I got in the Army, I found that it really resonated with me. It was a perfect fit. Uh, my wife and I loved military service and ended up being a 22-year career. You know, when I got towards the end of my career, I had an opportunity to command a battalion. Uh, I ended up turning that down because we were already on orders <clears throat> for another assignment. And, you know, I just felt that I owed it to my family coming out of Afghanistan to at least stabilize them for a year or two. Um, in subsequent years, I was offered command again. It just didn't work out. They were basic training battalions. It wasn't what I was seeking. And along the way, I fell in love with higher education. I was on a college campus as a professor of military science, and I thought that could be a great second career. And so I started putting in the same time, effort, and focus uh, to that career as I did in the military, and thankfully it's worked out. Yeah, so I talk about that as the sweet spot where your talents and your passions and then opportunity intersect. And it's just funny, as you tell that story, it sounds like that's exactly what happened. You found an opportunity, you seized it, and it's obvious your talent and your passion lies in education, growing leaders, uh, mine as well. It's just fun to hear your story and kind of envision maybe where I'm going to be in 10 years uh, as I think about it. So one of my best assignments was teaching ROTC like you did, like what an awesome assignment. What did you take away from teaching cadets? You know, I tell people all the time that was one of my favorite assignments in the Army and one that I thought I was most impactful in being a leader. You know, the reality for me is as a professor of military science, we put 65 lieutenants into the Army during my tenure there. And they've gone on to do phenomenal things for our military, and many of them have gotten out already and are having great careers as civilians. Uh, but some of them are still serving and are now reaching the ranks of lieutenant colonel, and I believe I even have a colonel out there now. Um, so it's a great legacy. Um, and the thing I'm most proud of is, you know, many of them served multiple tours in the global war on terror, and uh, they all made it out alive. And that just, I think, um, justifies the training program we had and the emphasis we had on making sure they were prepared to lead. Yeah, I think you captured my thoughts about ROTC really well. It's about staying long-term connected to these cadets, turn lieutenants, turn minor captains. They're about to hit captain right now. And it's just a joy to see people that you helped mentor in some small capacity continue to do great things. And uh, yeah, I just I th thank you for doing that. What a what an awesome job. So, what is the main difference between leading a university and leading a military formation? Do you think it's different, the same? Did you change your leadership style? 
I don't believe I changed my leadership style. I've always focused on people first. Um, I did that in the military. I did that on a college campus. Um, I think if you take care of your people, they'll take care of you in the organization. So that hasn't changed. <clears throat> I think the major difference is uh, one's organizational and then the other is decision making. Um, organizationally, I mean, I don't have an NCO core now on a college <laughs> campus. That's right? a big deficit you're dealing with. Right. So we're much leaner in our structure. And you find yourself sometimes uh, looking around the room, figuring out who you're going to delegate something to and realize it lands right back on your shoulders. All right. So I was uh, I'm always looking for a master sergeant or sergeant first class somewhere. But um, so that's that's one difference, um, you know, just the organizational structure. But the decision making process um, is different. You know, I think in the military, you know, we focus on the military decision making process and it requires a commander to give guidance and intent and ultimately make a decision. Um, on a college campus, the expectation is it's much more collaborative in nature. And so my uh, strategy and also challenge was to figure out how we honor the process of university governance. So faculty council, employee assembly, student government association, make sure all those voices are heard in the process to let them feel like they own the process. Uh, but at the end of the day, any leader, whether you're in the military or higher education, gets paid to make decisions. So I like to take all that information I get from the collaborative process now, but I'm not afraid to make a decision. And, and in my case, it was trying to shorten the amount of time it takes to be both collaborative and make a decision in a timely enough fashion to be effective. So I think that's where we've improved, but you know, I had to honor that process. Otherwise, there'd be no one following me. I think that's a great example of what you're talking about, servant leadership. And I look at that as I took command, you know, we talked about earlier. How do you come into a command that has a long range plan, stay on that track, but still be able to make improvements upon it? And you really need commitment and not buy-in, but commitment from your people to say, yes, this is our collective plan. It's not your plan. It's our plan and move together uh, move forward together. That's awesome. So what's the best thing about being a president of a university? Well, just like when I was in the military, the best part was the soldiers. On a college campus, it's the students. And so, you know, just like anything in any form of leadership, the higher you get in the leadership structure, um, the harder it is to keep your eyes and ears, you know, at the lowest level um, and to really stay in touch with those that you lead. So I try very hard, you know, whether it's planning my schedule with my uh, assistant or just forcing myself out of the office to remain connected to the students. Um, and that's the joy of the job. And when you're out there actually interacting with students and it becomes real everything you're trying to do. And you can see the hopes and dreams of those students and realize that all the hard work you're putting in is making a difference. So. For me, that's that's the joy. It's uh, it's the students, and I tell the staff all the time, you know, that every single decision we make has to be student-centered. And if we do that, we're going to be all be successful, and uni the university will thrive. Yeah, I, I love talking to you because I'm facing the same challenges, right? You have all this strategy you're thinking about, long-range planning, and then how do you carve out time to go talk to the people 
And you mentioned it earlier, people first, chief of staff of the Army says now, people first, winning matters. And that's kind of why I like Wisconsinites. They're really nice and really hardworking. And so people first, really nice, winning matters, really hardworking. And when you slam those two things together, I think you have a great formula. And it's so important to go out and see them as much as possible. And uh, this is a great conversation for me. Thanks for sharing. Well, I remember from my Army days, the saying was mission first, people always. And that's always resonated with me. In fact, whenever I speak about leadership, it's one of my leadership lessons uh, that I talk about. And so that's always stuck with me. And I think it's just as important today as it was 20 years ago when I was serving. Yeah. And everybody talks about it as a balance, right? Like, you know, you have to put some effort into people and then the mission. And if you're doing it right, I believe it's the same. It's like you're doing the same thing every day. Uh, between people and and the mission or winning or however you phrase it now. Awesome. So you've come up through the ranks from a young lieutenant to brigade leadership, once the second in command of a 3,200-person paratrooper unit. What advice do you have for people rising through the ranks? Well, number one is stay true to yourself. Be authentic. Don't try to be a leader you're not. You know, I used to have that conversation with young lieutenants and cadets all the time, you know, that One of the big mistakes a new leader makes is after watching so many war movies, they all think they need to be John Wayne or Mel Gibson, right? And the reality is just be yourself, right? So that's one bit of advice I would pass on. Uh, The second bit of advice is always be ready for the opportunities that present themselves. You know, as I look at my career, I could have never predicted, you know, a long-term military career and then reaching the ranks of a college president. Never even crossed my mind. But I was open to opportunities, and I had prepared myself along the way to be prepared to take those opportunities when they were presented. You know, and I mean, a recent example is, you know, three and a half years ago, I started a doctoral program, not because I wanted to be a college president. I just felt that I had the GI Bill. You know, I might as well continue to educate myself. And because I got that doctorate degree, it opened up the door to be a college president. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't have the doctorate degree. You know, so it's just taking those steps uh, to prepare yourself for the opportunities that will come. I love it. I love how you just paint this vision of being a continuous learner, right? Never too old to learn. And we talked earlier, I said, every meeting I go into, I'm the dumbest person in the room, right? Because it's a new subject. It's a new thing about the garrison. And you're just learning something new. I'm sure you're experiencing some of that as well. So speaking of paratroopers, why did you want to, I, I wrote, why did you want to jump out of airplanes? But really, why did you want to do it when you already had 20 years in the military? Like, I don't think my body would have taken that anymore. Yeah, so back, going back to my college days, you know, back then you put your choices down for what branch you wanted to be commissioned in. And in those days, I had taken all the tests to become a pilot. And that one challenge was if you didn't put aviation first as your number one choice, then you couldn't get it. So all the way to the last moment, I was up and down between infantry and aviation and at the very last second, I selected infantry. Um, and so I loved the world of light infantry and the world of airborne. Um, I wanted to go to Fort Bragg as a second lieutenant. I was fortunate enough to get that assignment. You know, and so after Ranger School and going to Fort Bragg, I just fell in love with the camaraderie, uh, fell in love with the 
high-quality leadership in the division there. And so I spent the rest of my career trying to get back there. And so after serving as a captain and a major in other units, I had the opportunity to come back to the 82nd. And so that's why when I was, you know, a senior major and a lieutenant colonel, I was jumping out of airplanes because, as you know, everyone in the 82nd is on jump status. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. And I will say that uh, there were a lot more aches and pains as a lieutenant colonel than there was as a lieutenant. But you just can't beat that feeling of being in, you know, uh, the belly of a C-130 and preparing to jump at night and looking into the eyes of all those young paratroopers and realizing that you're part of something special. So I would do it all again the same exact way that I did it. And I think that's the sign of uh, a happy life, right? If you can look back and say, if I could do it all over again, I'd do it the same way. That's awesome. I, uh, I'm all talk. I would find a airborne unit right now if I could. And uh, after this assignment, go jump out of more airplanes. So finally, any big leadership takeaways you want to impart as we, as we wrap this up? Well, you know, one of the things I'm really excited about now is I'm finally in a position where I can influence some really critical strategic partnerships and to make uh, quality of life better uh, for those that I lead. And uh, I'm real excited about the opportunities here with Fort McCoy. You know, Fort McCoy is such a big part of the Cooley region. And um, my mind just constantly races thinking about all the different things we can do together. And I appreciate that opportunity to discuss those today. You know, I'm also thinking about strategic partnerships with other universities, you know, with businesses in La Crosse. And, you know, I think a university has to be the center of a, of a uh, you know, population, the, the center of a city where, you know, the cultural, the educational, the opportunities for social activities all merge. You know, we want to be that for La Crosse and the surrounding areas. So... You're just really excited about the next five, seven, ten years, whatever it's going to be before I finally ride out into the sunset. <laughs> Rick, I, uh, I really appreciate you sitting down and talking to us. I had a blast doing this. Like, I've learned a lot. I've taken a lot of nuggets out of this. And I just wanted to thank you, uh, you know, military service and everything, but really holistically on helping the next generation be better, right? L developing leaders, servant leaders, helping improve anywhere, wherever – a person goes, whether it's the military, whether it's industry, whether it's the college, you are making a difference and you're doing it well. And I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Colonel, and good luck in your command. I think you're going to do great things here. Thanks. I appreciate it. So we've been hanging out with Rick Tritley, the Turbo President. Just had a great time. We hope you'll join us next time on the Behind the Triad podcast. Thanks. Thanks.